echoes through the ages, a record saved for you and me, that when the mists of darkness rise and the wars and storms increase, we'll know where we can turn for peace. And from every page, there's a message that rings. take our Bibles. Let's turn over to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. We're going to read the first three verses of that particular chapter. Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. We're blessed with some great music around here, aren't we? Boy, we are. Wonderful. Really, that uh, special today for the offering was just beautiful. I remember uh, watching White Christmas this year, and Danny Kay says, <clears throat> but General, in order to hear a performance like this, at the quality and level of, you know, of, of Captain Wallace, 
you'd have to pay 660 or 880 in New York. And I thought to myself, as they were playing, you'd have to go to New York and be a lot more than 660 or 680 to hear that. I mean, they're really doing a fabulous job. And uh, just even just the singing, the groups, and uh, the ensemble up here earlier. Wow, what a, what a blessing, amen? Well, we're just so blessed, and God's been good to us. Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. <clears throat> and he went out from thence and came into his own country... His disciples follow him. When the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and Simon? Are not, this, are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. They were offended at him. Jesus, of course, is ministering throughout the region. He turns to his hometown of Nazareth. Surely there will be a few friendly faces. Surely there will be those who will embrace him and encourage him. And I'm sure there might have been a few. However, that wasn't really the case, was it? Begins to teach the people. The Bible tells us that they were astonished. By the way, that wasn't uncommon when Jesus Christ spoke or when he responded to things. People were often astonished. That was the case in Capernaum in Mark chapter 1 verse 22 when it says, And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. It was the case at the Sea of Galilee and throughout the coast of Decapolis when in Mark chapter 7, verse 37, the Bible says, And were beyond measure astonished, saying, He hath done all things well. He maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. It was the case in Jerusalem. Jesus had cast out the money changers, and of course, he had been upset with those who were selling things and bartering and all of those things in the house of God. And he told them in, that this house would be called by all nations a house of prayer. They had made it a den of thieves. The Bible tells us that the religious leaders were so afraid of Jesus that they even sought to kill him, to take his very life. They were afraid that their elevated position in the temple was at risk. They were afraid that their way of life would be in question. They were afraid of his great influence over the people, that it would ultimately sway them toward him rather than toward them. They were afraid that he would ultimately convince the masses that although they may seem to be very religious, they were not so godly after all. In Mark chapter 11, verse 18, the Bible says, And the scribes and chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him, because all the people was astonished at his doctrine. The fact is, is that Christ was unique in so many ways. They were astonished at his doctrine. It's amazing, really, when you think about the Lord Jesus Christ, the thought of God himself on earth, ultimately bearing the marks 
of the cross and those nails in his hands and feet for our sin. You know, the folks in Nazareth, they could not deny the works, the wisdom, and the mighty effort that the Lord Jesus Christ put forth. In Mark chapter 6, verse 3, they make a statement, however, that just kind of really caught my attention. I'm glad that they were astonished. But the thing that caught my attention was this phrase, is not this the carpenter? Is not this the carpenter? Now before we address that particular statement, I want to look at the rest of the verse for just a moment. I want to note first of all that Mary, the mother of Jesus, had other children. I think it's important to note that. We see in the passage that it says, Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the, <clears throat> the mother, the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? I believe the passage clearly states and clearly helps us to understand that uh, Jesus had other brothers and sisters. Now again, this is a Catholic doctrine that somehow there were no brothers and sisters, if you will. That Mary herself was a perpetual virgin. Now according to their doctrine, she remained a virgin during and after the birth of Jesus Christ. And those that defend that particular doctrine or position point out that in Aramaic, the language spoken by Christ and his disciples, that it lacked a specific word for cousin. So therefore, the the word brother was used instead. Instead of saying it was his cousins that were with us, it's his brother. Others argue that Jesus' brothers and sisters were really the sons and daughters of Joseph by a previous marriage. And therefore, they were simply stepbrothers and sisters. To ensure that there's no misunderstanding in this area, you need only to turn to the book of Matthew and read in Matthew 1, and 25 when the Bible says, Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. He knew her not till. So she certainly wasn't a perpetual virgin. Number two, those who had heard his words, the Bible says, were offended at him. Now, you got to remember, this was little Jesus. I mean, they had watched him grow up from an infant to adulthood. I mean, there were some of those in that particular place that saw him cut his first teeth and take his first step, probably. They'd watched as he began school and learned his ABCs. They watched as he swept the floors in the carpenter shop and carried out the trash. This was little Jesus. Reminds me of a story of two men that were on a stagecoach traveling through the Wild West. The one turns around and sees an Indian chasing them. He tells the driver that there's an Indian chasing him. The driver says, well, how far away is he? He's about that far. A little while longer, he says, hey, what about that Indian? How close is he now? He says, oh, he's about that far. He asks again, oh, he's about that far. Finally, he says, hey, how close is that Indian now? He says, oh, he's about that far. Well, shoot him. I can't shoot him. I've known him since he was that tall. 
See, the townspeople had known Jesus since he was that tall. And it had bred a sense of familiarity. And we know that sometimes familiarity breeds contempt. Oh, they couldn't deny his teaching, but they did want to reject the source. Be careful that you don't allow familiarity to breed contempt in your life. Now, let me just say this, and again, I know you're supposed to have evangelists in to say these things. But can I tell you that you may know the pastor well, but be careful that you don't allow that familiarity to breed contempt. Make sure that you recognize his position as pastor when approaching him and dealing with him. You say, well, why would you say that in this church? We having a problem? No, I just don't want to have any. It's kind of like young people. You need to understand who you're dealing with when you're talking to mom and dad. They're not your buddies, and they're not supposed to be your best friend. They're your parents. You can't forget about that. Now let's get back to our statement. Is not this the carpenter? Again, that statement intrigued me. I don't know why, but it just stuck with me. And I I knew that they should have recognized him as the Messiah. I, I realized that they should have seen him as the consolation of Israel. No doubt about that. It would seem that that would be normal if they had been reading their Bible and praying. However, the problem is, is that he, again, he grew up around many of them. Many of them knew him. Oh, I know they should have realized that he was Jehovah, God in the flesh. Emmanuel. Yes, I know. They should have realized that he was the chosen one, that he was the fulfillment of the prophesied promises of the Old Testament, that they should have seen and realized who he was, but they didn't. But what really stood out in my mind is that they called him the carpenter. Is not this the carpenter? In a parallel passage found in Matthew, the verse reads like this in Matthew 15, 55, is not this the carpenter's son? So is this a contradiction that we find in Scripture? Did they say, is not this the carpenter? Or did they say, is not this the carpenter's son? What did they say? I'm not sure. Do you know? I don't know. It seems to me that they must have said both. I don't believe it's a contradiction. Not in the least. I don't believe that there is contradictions in the Bible. I believe it is a complement to one another. And it provides us with a wonderful truth. I suppose that the point that I really want to make or note tonight is that Jesus had become what his earthly daddy was. I know that Jesus was a prophet. I realize he was a priest and king. I know that he held them successively. As a matter of fact, we're waiting for him to be king. I'm talking about on earth. But as far as others could tell, he was a carpenter. There in that little town, he was known as the carpenter or the carpenter's son as they viewed him and as they listened to him. He was a chip off the old block. He'd become exactly what his earthly father had, what was, I should say. Can you imagine influencing the Savior? Jesus was deity. But he also had Joseph to guide his hand and to teach him a trade. He was influenced by his earthly father and he became a carpenter just like good old dad, so to speak. 
I want you to know that you and I have influence in the lives of those we touch as well. And where there is influence, there is opportunity. We are able to shape the lives of those that God has placed in our realm of influence. Whether you believe it or not, there's not a person in the room that doesn't have some sense of influence. You say, well, I don't have much. Can I tell you, it doesn't always take much. But you'd be amazed probably how much influence you really do have. Sometimes we have a tendency to say those things out of a false sense of humility. Oh, I don't have no influence. And down deep you're thinking, oh, I know my kids are listening. I know my husband. I know my wife. I know my family. I know my Sunday school kids. Oh, I have no influence. False sense of humility. Trying to portray yourself as being humble. Can I tell you something? If you are a Sunday school teacher, whether you believe it or not, and you do believe it, you know it has to be true. You're influencing those children or you wouldn't waste your time. Now, you may be influencing for good or bad. I don't know, and I hope it's for good. But the fact is, is that you have influence. If you are a mom or a dad, if you are a grandma or a grandpa, you have influence. You say, I don't have much, but you have influence. And it is a gift that God has given you. And where there is influence, as we said, there is opportunity. What kind of influence are you having on others today? And some of the teenagers may say, well, we don't influence anybody. You do, to some degree. Brothers and sisters and younger, those those that are younger than you in many cases. You may not influence me so much, but you will influence others, your own peers and below, for sure. You do good enough and you take care of certain situations. You may not only influence me, I mean, you may influence me at some point. If you impress me, you may influence me at some point. And that's the way it is. We all have some kind of influence. But the question is really this. Does your influence drive others to their knees and closer to God, or does it drive them to the world and away from the Lord? Does your influence inspire them to love and to worship the Master or to neglect and disregard Him? I wonder what kind of influence you have on those you touch today. We look at the life of Joseph and we say, well, he wasn't Jesus' real daddy. He was just a stepdaddy. Can I tell you, stepdaddies have a lot of influence in the home, and they ought to. And can I tell you that Joseph had some tremendous influence in the life of the Savior, Jesus Christ. Is not this the carpenter? How did he become a carpenter? Daddy taught him. By the way, you don't produce what you want, but what you are. And that is a very important truth to remember as we consider influencing lives and influencing others. You don't produce what you want, but what you are. See, a vulture does not have a swan for offspring. He has a vulture. What are you today? What you are determines what you will produce. I don't know about you, but as a parent, it scares the life out of me as I've looked through the years at my children and saw that they seem to always gravitate to my weaknesses, not my strengths. If I'm a hot-tempered person, guess what my children usually are? Hot-tempered. If I'm mouthy, 
then guess what my children are usually? Mouthy. If I'm disrespectful to authority, guess what my children will probably be? Disrespectful to authority. They are going to follow in our footsteps. Is not this the carpenter? How'd that happen? How did Jesus become known as the carpenter? Maybe it's because he spent so much time in the carpenter's shop. Maybe because he spent time with daddy. Maybe because eventually he was making rockers. I don't know. But he obviously had gotten a reputation. He'd become what his earthly father was because his earthly father had influence. And you know what? So do you. So do I. Joseph was a carpenter. He produced a carpenter. See, it wasn't that awfully long ago the children followed in dad's footsteps as far as occupation was concerned. That wasn't unusual at all in the day. If your father worked at Goodyear, you worked at Goodyear. If he was a, a, a police officer, you probably became a police officer. If he was a fireman, you became a fireman. If he was a lawyer, you became a lawyer. You followed in the footsteps. If he was an architect, you became an architect. It doesn't quite work that way today as it used to in this climate of technology and globalization that we live in. But still, what we are as men and what we are as women, what we are as believers becomes the greatest factor in the lives of our children as far as what they turn out to be. It's so important, our influence. So I want to share three things that you must do on behalf of your children and others who you touch along the way. You say, well, I have no more children. They're grown up. That's all right. You touch others along the way too. Well, I'm just a teenager. That's all right. You touch some others along the way. You may not have a wife or a husband. You may not have children yet, but you have those you influence. So how or what must we do? For those that we touch along the way. Let me give you three simple thoughts. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, for your leadership tonight. We need you. Father, we really do take our influence for granted too often. We fail to remember how powerful it can be in the lives of others. Sometimes we dismiss it. And, Lord, sometimes we dismiss it because we just don't want to have the responsibility of it. But, Lord, it doesn't take away the responsibility I pray, Lord, that we'd use our influence for good and for you. Father, help us to realize, Lord, in the world in which we live, we are influencing people all the time. May we do that which is pleasing in your sight. Well, thank you. In Christ's name, amen. So what must we do on behalf of our children and others who we touch along the way? Number one, invest. You got to take the time to invest. I want to encourage you to make an investment in your children and others today, an investment. If I was going to invest in the stock market today and I was going to buy 1,000 shares of Delta airline stock, I'd have to come up with about $40,000, $41,000 right now. Now, by investing, I am willing to put the $40,000 in in hopes that in the future I'm going to get more out. I want to put the 40000 in today in hopes of getting 50, 60, 70, 80,000 someday in the future. And that's exactly what every parent must do with children. That's exactly what each and every one of us need to do with others in our lives. We need to eventually, we need to make an investment in the lives of others. 
And can I tell you that sometimes that investment could be spent in a number of other ways, but if we want to see the kind of outcome and if we want to ultimately see the, the, the um, I just forgot, investment and the return, there you go, thank you, then we're going to have to make that initial investment and it's going to cost us something. I could have a car today, or I could buy the 40,000 shares of stock. I could have a good, nice down payment on a house, or I could have $40,000 worth of stock. But the point is, is what's going to bring me the most value in the future? I have to weigh that out. Can I tell you that many times we are wasting our time and wasting our energy and wasting our talents on something other than the right investments? And can I tell you, you never go wrong investing in your children and investing in others. You never go wrong. We need to invest in friends, family, and loved ones. We need to invest in those bus kids and those new converts and the lost and others along the way. That means that at first, we'll be investing or giving more than we're getting back. And can I tell you, we live in a world of instant return, that fast food mentality but if indeed you're going to receive the return that you're looking for and that you ultimately would love to have, you have to make the initial investment. Well, I've invested in a number of new converts and they, many of them wash out. Yeah, but for that one that doesn't. That's good. I've invested in, in people along the way and they've only hurt me and they, they've used me. Wait a second. I thought when you invested in the lives of others, you did it for the Lord. Amen. I'm sorry, I misunderstood that part of it. It is kind of funny how we make investments in people and we talk about how we're doing it for Jesus, but we get our feelings hurt. How's that happen? I remember years ago as I was preparing to leave uh, the military, for, well, I was actually not leaving the military, I was leaving uh, Germany. I was in Nuremberg, Germany, and there was a fellow there that I had become a friend with, and we were more acquaintances than friendship, but we had done some things together, and I still remember the day I was leaving. He said, man, could you loan me 20 bucks? I said, man, I'm leaving today. I mean, I'm like getting on a plane. I'm, I'm going to Frankfurt and getting on a plane, and I'm leaving, and I'm not coming back. Well, could you loan me 20? I'll tell you, man, you just send me your address, man. I'll send you that 20 bucks, I promise. I pulled my wallet out, and I pulled that $20 out. And I said, here. I said, don't count it a, a loan, just I'm giving it to you. I said, because the truth is, I don't want to be upset when you don't send it to me. And you know what I know the truth? Too many times we're giving people investments on loan instead of just giving the investment. And then we get upset because we don't see the return. Hey, if you gave it away, it's no longer yours. You may have watched Charlie Brown's Christmas this season. Sally, she says, I've been looking for you, big brother. Will you please write a letter to Santa for me? Charlie Brown responds, Well, I don't have much time. I'm supposed to get down to the school auditorium and direct a Christmas play. <clears throat> Sally hands a clipboard and a pen to Charlie Brown and says, 
You write it and I'll tell you what I want to say. Charlie Brown sticks that pen in his mouth. He says, okay, shoot. Dear Santa Claus, how have you been? Did you have a nice summer? How's your wife? I've been extra good this year, so I have a long list of presents that I want. Oh, brother, Charlie Brown says. Sally says, please note the size and color of each item and send as many as possible. If it seems too complicated, make it easy on yourself. Just send money. How about tens and twenties? Tens and twenties? Oh, even my baby sister. All I want is I, I have coming to me. All I want is my fair share, she says. Sally may sound a little cold and calculating. All I want is what's coming to me. All I want is my fair share. But the truth is that in the flesh, that's how we all feel. We're often guilty of wanting our fair share, and that leaves little room for others. You know, it takes sacrifice to invest in others. Matter of fact, in John 3.16, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What an investment. God invested in you. God invested in me. I wonder, what kind of return is he getting from us? I want to encourage you to invest in your children, to invest in your marriage, to invest in your family, your friends, and your loved ones, to invest in your ministry, to invest in others. Number two, what must you do on behalf of your children and others who you touch along the way? Well, we said invest, but number two, influence. You know, when you invest in others, your influence will naturally grow. It's just going to. As you make sacrifices on behalf of others, as you put yourself in a position to help other people and to do things that are even inconvenient to you on their behalf, it's going to increase your influence for them. Now again, you must be very careful that you never take your influence for granted. Or that you, maybe not even, that's probably not what I'm really trying to say, that you never dismiss what influence you have. That you don't write it off, that you don't count it as nothing. Because you do have influence and you must use that influence. Influence is a gift. And every parent has influence. Every grandparent has influence. Every person has influence to some degree or another. And if you have influence, and you do, then you must use it for God and good. See, too many are using their influence for the wrong things. Can you imagine living your whole life, spending it influencing people to follow after a worldly philosophy and stand before God and realize it was all a waste of time, that it served no heavenly purpose? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Turn there, would you? I really like this passage because it precedes a very, very important passage in the book of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. We know that passage. The Bible tells us, forsaking not the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. But before he speaks on that issue, he makes the statement in verse 24, 
And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Do you know what that screams to me? Influence. Let's influence others. What way? How are we to influence them? How are we to provoke them? Or, I mean, what, what to? Well, to love and to good works. Can I ask you, when's the last time you influenced somebody to be out soul winning? When's the last time you influenced somebody to go to church? When's the last time you influenced somebody to read their Bible? When's the last time you influenced somebody to, to, to pray? When's the last time you influenced somebody for God and good? And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. I thought the Lord was trying to reach down into the service and speak audibly. (laughs) There is no man, I don't even know what I wrote here. Oh, this is (laughs) I put there. There is no I I should have said this. This is no truer than with our children and those in our homes. Well, I'll tell you what, how important is it that we provoke or that we influence our children to love and to good works? What opportunities we have to influence? Man, there's so many. And it's an investment. And it takes time and preparation. See, influencing people is an investment in that sense. So yes, we must invest, but we invest by influencing toward love and to good works. The Bible tells us that the Apostle Paul, speaking to Timothy, his protege, he says to him in 1 Timothy 4.12, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believer in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. He's an example. that's, That's how he influenced others. He provoked others to good works. He provoked others to love. He did that by being an example. Can I tell you that the way we influence people, the way we really invest in the most important way is through being an example. Timothy, we're going to see here, plays another role. We see the next thing, I should say, that I wanted to share with you in Timothy's life. But we're going to see that it's instruction. So we're going to see that we're to invest and we're to influence, but then we're also to instruct. What am I going to do for those ones that, are, that I have influence over? Family, friends, loved ones, children. What am I going to do? I'm going to invest in their life. I'm going to influence them, and I'm going to instruct. And that's what indeed what you must do as well. Again, 2 Timothy Verse one, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 5 says, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded in thee also. The Apostle Paul writing to Timothy now says, I remember, and I, I, I'm, I'm remembering the faith that's in you. But you know what? I'm remembering where that came from what the source of that faith was, what, where, where the foundation of it was laid. 
It dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and then thy mother Eunice. It went from your grandmother to your mother and now down to you. Can you imagine the influence there then? That is all influence. It went from grandma to mom to you. Oh, I'm just a grandmother. I'm just a grandpa. I have no influence. Really? Really? Timothy's grandma and mother invested in his life. They sought to influence him, and in so doing, they taught him the word of God and passed down their faith. Timothy had become a byproduct of his mother's investment, a byproduct of his grandma's investment and their influence in his life. It's funny how people are when it comes to children. Our children start to get a little older, and, and if we're not careful, we think, well, and I, I never did this, so, but I'm just saying I hear it all the time. Well, I, gotta do, I get them to 18, and they're on their own. Really? Is that what you think? I think I, and again, this is a horrible thing, because it's unscriptural, but I think I've worried more about my children since they have left my house than when they were in my house. You say, that's ridiculous. I could control them when they were in my house. I can't control them now. Oh, by the way, I controlled my 20-year-olds just like I controlled my 2-year-olds. I just want to throw that out for you. This idea they turn 18, they get to do what they want. You're out of your mind. He said, I wouldn't want to live in your house, and I wouldn't want you to either. That's how you feel. I'm just trying to help you, parents. Let me tell you something. Just because you got a kid, a child living in your home, and they're over 18, that doesn't mean they get free reign, come in and out whenever they choose, do whatever they want. Uh, that ain't how it works. You got to earn that by, like, providing for yourself. Out of my house, not in it. Now listen, there may be more freedom and you, if they've earned their trust, then by all means, share that with them and reward them for that trust. But that's not something that they deserve. It's something they earn. It's not something that they can demand. It's something they must earn. Preacher, you are the best. And some of the teenagers are saying, thank you, preacher, for setting my parents straight because I was getting concerned that I'd have too much freedom when I graduated. <laughs> you are quite welcome, teenagers. You can count on me. <laughs> One day a farmer grabbed his shotgun to shoot a flock of pesky crows. I'm not here tonight, are they? But anyway... So, some of you got that. But anyway, he grabbed a shotgun to shoot a flock of pesky crows. Unfortunately, he didn't see his sociable, this very sociable parent that he, parrot that he had had joined the crows. After firing a few shots into the crowd, he walked over to the fallen birds, and he was kind of surprised to find his parrot badly ruffled up with, broken, with a broken wing. 
When the farmer's children saw the injured bird, they said, Dad, what happened? The farmer said, well, bad company, son. Bad company. That parrot got into the wrong group. And ultimately it cost him. You know, the scriptures warn us about negative human influence in our lives. Well, we got to be so careful with that. Regardless of our age or our spiritual strength, over time, unwise influences are going to negatively affect our walk and our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's just the reality of things. Satan is determined to pull you into sin. He wants to wreck and ruin your life, and he wants to ruin mine. And he'll use the wrong kind of influences to accomplish his goals. Therefore, we have to warn them. We have to instruct our children. We have to instruct those that we have influence over, that we touch along the way. Turn to Proverbs chapter 1, would you? Proverbs chapter 1, verse 10. What must we do on behalf of our children and others who we touch along the way? We need to invest. We need to influence. We need to instruct. And part of that instruction is warning them because there is danger abroad. Proverbs chapter 1, we find the writer warning his son. My son, verse 10. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 10. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. If they say, come with us, let us lay wait for blood. Let us lurk privily for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them up alive as the grave and whole as those that go down into the pit. We shall find all precious substance. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in thy lot among us. Let us all have one purse. My son, walk thou not in the way with them. Refrain thy foot from their path. For their feet run to evil and make haste to shed blood. He says, walk thou not in the way with them. Refrain thy foot from their path. But we have to warn those that we influence. Those that we are investing in. Because see, it's our responsibility to instruct them. And in that instruction sometimes comes warnings. There are so many seeking the soul, and the future of your children. And that's true with the lost that come to Jesus Christ, babes in Christ. The devil and those around us are seeking their soul and their life. I want to coerce my children, my family, my friends, my loved ones, the new converts, away from a path of destruction. I want them in a, the path that leads to joy, hope, and peace. You know, there are four reasons that I'm going to give you real quickly, and they're not that awfully deep. It's not like I had to spend a ton of time thinking, but you could probably come up with another four right off the top of your head. But there are four reasons I'm going to give you for why we fail to instruct and warn those that we touch. Number one, we fear being labeled old-fashioned. We want to fit in. It's sad when a parent wants to fit in with their children. It's sad when 
the leader, not only of the home, but the leader maybe in a church or someone wants to fit in with the, the culture in which we live. We're, we're afraid of being labeled old-fashioned. We're afraid of being prudes. We're afraid of not getting with the program. We're afraid of, you get where I'm going with that. Number two, we're fearful of conflict. We don't want to have to fight a battle. We don't want to have to go toe-to-toe with the children. We don't have to go toe-to-toe with the wife. We don't have to go toe-to-toe with the, 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 the world in which we live. We don't want to have to face conflict. So we don't instruct, we don't share truth, we don't warn. We just shut our mouths and roll with the flow. It's not helping those that we influence, however. It's not aiding those that we've invested in. It's not helping those who are being led astray. Fear of being labeled as old-fashioned, fear of conflict. But another reason why we fail to instruct and warn those we touch is because of fear of loss. We're afraid of losing them. This happens a lot in homes. This happens in marriages. We're afraid of losing something, so instead of taking a stand for what's right, instead of warning and telling those in, under our, our watch care, especially if we're leadership roles or we have influence over people, and by the way, if you have influence, you are leading because leadership is nothing more than influence. We fear losing them. Well, I'll lose my kids. If I take a stand on this, if I tell them they're wrong, well, you've, you've lost them already then. They're already lost. If you can't be dad, you can't be mom, you can't be the influence that God made you to be, then you really aren't who you think you are. You've lost them already. Now they're in charge. Fear of loss. Fear of being wrong or lacking or a lack of confidence. Sometimes we're just afraid to instruct or we're afraid to warn people because we're afraid we might be wrong. Maybe our outlook isn't proper. Maybe we're, we, we're going to find out that we should have said something different. Listen, the only way you can be sure that the instruction you're giving is truth and right is if it aligns with the Word of God. Amen. If you got that one straight, then you're good to go. You'll be all right because guess what? This Word never changes. Say, so, yeah, I know, but what if, what if our world changes? It doesn't matter. You're still right. Because if you agree with God, then guess what? You're good to go. And that's the, that's the breakdown today in Christianity, isn't it? That as a whole, Christians are not as concerned about aligning themselves with God and his word as they are about aligning themselves with others. Life is not simple already. It can be complicated at times when we allow other people to dictate and determine what we believe, how we feel, and what our outlook is. But when you say to God, all I care about is pleasing you, you're first, I want to honor you, I want to please you. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer, can I tell you, everything gets so much less confusing. It's so simple now. Once you realize, though, that you must invest, once you are aware that you must influence and instruct those that you love and are concerned about, 
Once you come to that conclusion, you're right, preacher. I know you're right. I have no doubt about it as a dad, as a mom, as a grandma, as a grandpa, as a teenager, as a Christian. I have influence, and I must invest in others, and I must influence others, and I must instruct. Once you've come to that place, make sure that you don't do it alone. So what do you mean? Make sure that you include God in every one of your endeavors. Don't attempt this by yourself. And you may end up like that bricklayer that I recently read about or I've spoken about in the past even here who filed an insurance claim. And here's how it read. Now, he was trying to get a load of bricks down from the top floor of a building without asking for help from anyone else. He wrote... It would have taken too long to carry all the bricks down by hand. So I decided to put them in a barrel and lower them by a pulley, which I had fastened to the top of the building. After tying the rope securely at ground level, I then went up to the top of the building. I fastened the rope around the barrel, loaded it with bricks, and swung it over the sidewalk for the descent. Then I went down to the sidewalk and untied the rope, holding it securely to guide the barrel down slowly. But since I weighed only 140 pounds and the 500-pound load, uh, uh, load jerked me from the ground so fast that I didn't even have time to think of letting go of the rope. As I passed between the second and third floors, I met the barrel coming down. This accounts for the bruises and the lacerations on my upper body. I held tightly to the rope until I reached the top where my hand became jammed into the pulley. This accounts for my broken thumb. At the same time, however, the barrel hit the sidewalk with a bang and the bottom fell out. With the weight of the bricks gone, the barrel weighed only about 40 pounds. Thus, my 140 pounds began to a swift descent and I met the barrel coming up. This accounts for my broken ankle. Slowed only slightly, I continued the descent and landed on the pile of bricks. This accounts for my sprained back and broken collarbone. At this point, I lost my presence of mind completely, and I let go of the rope, and the empty barrel came crashing down on me. This accounts for my head injuries. And as for the last question on your insurance form, what would I do if the same situation rose again? Please be advised, I am finished trying to do the job all by myself. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what. He learned a hard lesson, but can I tell you, the truth is we can too at times, huh? But when we dismiss God out of our life, when we fail to include him in every decision, when we, make, uh, we try to invest, influence, and even instruct others, and we disregard God and his word, or we fail to include him in that, pro- that process, he says to us that he's divine, we're the branches, and without him we can do nothing, and may we never forget that. Amen. I don't know why. No one wants to listen. I don't know why nothing ever turns out right. I don't know why. Maybe it's because we're trying to do it in our own strength and not his. What kind of return is God getting on his investment tonight? Joseph wasn't Jesus' biological father. But Joseph invested and influenced the Savior.
Is not this the carpenter? Wow, what influence you and I have today. And we need to use that influence for God. I think it's Joseph. And again, there's no indication that Joseph was around at the end of Jesus' life because if that was the case, then the disciple would not have been given the responsibility, I think, to care for the mother. Apparently, Joseph must have already passed from the scene. But I got to believe that Joseph sat in awe of Jesus. Every time he commanded him, every time he instructed him, Jesus, yes, sir, I got you. No problem, let me do that. Joseph just thought, boy, I'm so proud of that boy. If I didn't know any better, I'd think he's perfect. Oh, he is. I wonder how proud is Jesus today of us? How proud is the God, the Father, who gave his only begotten son to die on a cross to pay for our sin, made such a great investment. I, I, can, I can still see Joseph beaming as he, at the, the, wow, that son of yours is so polite. That son of yours is so good at what he does. Man, I'll tell you what, I want him to make my, my, my swing set. Man, I want him to do that. He's really good at that. It's like he's perfect at it. Uh-huh. Joseph's like, eh, chip off the old block. I wonder how proud is God of us tonight? He's influenced us. He's invested in us. He's instructed us. How are we doing? And then, are you investing, influencing, and instructing others the way you ought to? Are you making spiritual disciplines the greatest area of influence that you can have on someone? It break my heart one day to find out that my son was a great preacher, but he wasn't a godly man. Oh, he can really preach. Man, I'll tell you what, he's a chip off the old block, and I don't say that because I believe I'm a great preacher. I hope that one day he's a great preacher. But let me tell you something. I don't care how good he preaches. If he's not a godly man, I have failed. Can I tell you, too many times we as Christian parents have neglected the spiritual side of our children and we are just content to see them grow up to be good providers, to be good men and women, not godly men and women. Godly men and women are the byproduct of a lot of investment, influence, and instruction. And it's not done without God either. Don't think that you're going to do it all alone. You won't. You better have God doing it, and you just get in on it with him. May God help us to be the believers we ought to be. May we be investing, influencing, and instructing like we ought. Joseph did. Look at the outcome. Is not this the carpenter? If a man can influence God, 
Think how much you could influence those you touch. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, for your leadership. We desperately need you today. We're praying, Father, that you would just be real in our lives and help us to realize the responsibility that we have to invest, influence, and instruct those that we touch. Lord, you have given us this privilege, this wonderful opportunity. May we not dismiss it. May we not act as though I don't have any influence. I don't have any abilities in these areas. Lord, we all influence to some degree. Oh, Father, help us to use that influence for good and for you. As we turn the corner, begin to travel down 2021, we make up our minds that it's worth an investment. It's worth a sacrifice to invest, to influence in a way that produces spiritual disciplines in the lives of our children and the lives of others we come into contact with. I want to influence my family long after they're out of my house, but I want to influence them for you. They're going to make their own choices, I know. and I can't control all of that. But may it not be because I have not set the standard. May it not be because I have not continued to try to live my life in a way that pleases you, honors you, glorifies you. Lord, when given opportunity, I'm going to invest spiritually in their lives. I want to influence them for you and good. They may not always take to it. They may not always want it. But Lord, help me to be bold enough to give it. Lord, we'll thank you now. We need you today. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Let's all stand to our feet. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Two simple thoughts, really. What kind of return is the Heavenly Father getting from you and I? And what kind of investment kind of influence are we making in the lives of others that we touch? I don't know how many of the other boys were called, is it not this the carpenter? I just know Jesus was, so I'm not sure. I don't know if the others followed quite in the steps of daddy like Jesus did. I'm not sure. And I'm talking about, you know I'm not talking about his heavenly father. I'm talking about the earthly father that he had. But he did influence Jesus. Made a difference in his life. And it ultimately affected how others viewed him. May God help us to do our part. We can't control the decisions that our children make later in life. However, we can continue to influence them and invest in them for God and good. We can continue to instruct to some degree as they permit. But let's not give up on people. Let's not give up on them. We all have influence. Let's use it for God and good.
Amen. Wonderful thought this evening. Great message. And I'm glad and excited and thankful you showed up this evening. What a wonderful time that we can have in church, in God's house. What a wonderful place this is. It can be storming. It can be going crazy out in the world in which we live. But there's, there's, it's a peaceful place here. It's a wonderful place. And uh, as we move forward, uh, be prepared and ready to go. Wednesday, 7 o'clock, like normal. Uh, we'll have our Wednesday, our midweek service. Moving forward into the new year, as I mentioned this morning, we'll have our soul winning training starting up mid-month there in January. And I couldn't help but think of it. We don't have to wait for soul winning training uh, to make a difference and to influence where we're at. And there's some gospel tracks out there. You'll make your way out those double doors. Grab a few tracks and uh, let God do something with those as we're a faithful witness this week as a church family, Community Baptist Temple, right here where God has us, Akron, Ohio. Looking forward to what God will do in and through Community Baptist Temple 2021. Well, thank you again for being here. Have a wonderful week. Safe trip home. Let's close with a word of prayer. Lord, we love you. Lord, we are grateful again just to be here. And for this, this church family that we have, the ability to fellowship, come together and serve you, worship and praise you. Lord, for the singing, for the preaching that took place today. Lord, we are grateful uh, for a preacher, for a pastor who gives us your word, service in and service out. And Lord, I pray that we would take what we heard today and apply it to our lives. Lord, that we would be an influence where you have us, the workplace, our neighborhoods, the grocery store, in our homes, our marriages, our families. Lord, that we would do our part. We would be faithful. We would be obedient. Lord, we need you. We do love you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen.